I realized that the basics and the most fundamental things do not change. You know, like pe- like people and how they behave, right? It's we we hear these terms of B two B, B two C, but at the end of the day, you're human to human, right? So you're selling to another human being. People have certain psychological biases. People have pattern recognition, cognitive biases. The reasons why they buy from you are more or less. similar but let me give you a small example you might see that on websites you have these prizes which end in 9 or which end in 0.99 this is a hack that has been working for decades in today's episode i invited rish dev online entrepreneur and growth consultant rish has built multiple online businesses from the past and continues to teach growth marketing he's also the managing director of maplings which helped over 50 clients including companies such as nestle and philips today we are going to dive into growth marketing and growth hacking so stay tuned and let's get into the video amazing we met a year ago and i was super impressed because you were talking about making a million on shopify i think that was your case study right And yeah, I've been uh, just curious what you do. And uh, on LinkedIn, you talk a lot about growth marketing. But like in general, can you first introduce yourself? Sure. So, I mean, I started building online businesses in two thousand nine, and the first thing that came across that I came across was freelancing. So I thought I should develop some digital skills, and then do freelancing for companies, and that was sort of my way of replacing a full time job, so to speak. So I started doing freelancing and started playing around with different skills, where I realized that you know specifically with growing a business online, uh, growth marketing is the place to be. And I would answer the question of how I define it in a moment. But before that, how I started was basically executing marketing campaigns and small portions of marketing campaigns for businesses. and then then i realized that there's much more to this game than just seo or social media or acquisition of users because what's more important is to maximize the revenue that you make from the user to retain the user for the longest period of time and then to have those user refer other users and that's actually the definition of growth marketing growth that comes from your user base itself Oh okay I thought growth marketing was more like the overarching definition of uh, testing and testing again and uh, kind of right. optimizing the conversions right that's that's what you can call growth hacking so oh, okay. having those small sprints of execution and then feeding the data back into the system to test various experiments and drive improvements in the whole marketing funnel that's growth hacking and um, following the user across the journey and then optimizing the full funnel is growth marketing i see and then those funnels could be either facebook ad campaigns or could be uh, seo on your website right or is it like a combination of many things how do you define that so that's the difference between digital marketing and growth marketing that it does not matter what the top of funnel is whether you are attracting people from facebook ads or let's say you have organic keywords that you're ranking for or you have videos that are ranking for on youtube or you have communications going through quora or reddit threads it does not matter what the channel is as long as you can optimize across the different stages of the funnel because what happens is you know if you speak to digital marketers and i'm sure you do speak to a lot of digital marketers you'll see that 80% of their efforts are focused on top of funnel so it's about acquiring new users into their funnel so the real way that startups or businesses actually 
make profitability and revenue is by maximizing the potential of each user and not just by acquiring the user itself, right? And that could be in terms of either maximizing the revenue from them or retaining them for the longest period of time or referring, getting other users in the funnel from those users. And that's why one of the you know, important aspects of growth marketing is also referral marketing or retention marketing. So those are some things that are typically not covered in the vanilla digital marketing, as I call it. And that's really the difference between digital marketing and growth marketing. Okay. That's the, and thank you so much for this clarification, because there are a lot of terms flying around and even like teachers in university probably don't teach like growth marketing and stuff. And they are happy if they can just, you know, explain digital marketing for students. So yeah, I'm super um, happy that you're on the show because you've got so many case studies. So would you mind sharing, I don't know, one of the successful case studies you've got? I'm sure you got so so many. So yeah, any websites or companies? Yeah. Sure. It's hard to pick one. Um, But if I had to share one of my earliest case studies, we were working with a startup that does hackathons. So they organize these hackathons online where developers can come in and participate in the hackathons. And I would say that, you know, they were doing a lot of digital marketing campaigns, which was majorly Facebook ads, even Twitter ads, because there's a lot of developers who are active on Twitter. And then they would invite these people to participate in the hackathons. Eventually, over time, they realized that they did not have profitability, which is when they started looking for growth marketing methods. So what we did is we developed a community of people who would come and participate in the hackathons, but then they could enter the community and then subscribe to the community for long-term revenue. So not just that it helped them to maintain a relationship with the brand outside of the hackathon, but it also helped the brand make money. And we got around 100,000 people in the community for this particular client. So if you were to charge them, you know, even $9 a year, you can imagine that instead of just paying for the ads and then having them into a hackathon and then not making end profit for the brand, you now have retained these users for the longest period of time. So that's really where, you know, growth marketing extends outside of digital marketing. And it's not just about a tech startup per se, but I'm also going to give you another one, which is for the e-commerce brand that you mentioned. So the the first million dollars that I made with e-commerce was with the Shopify store. And one of the reasons that I tell people who ask me that, you know, if they have to start a Shopify store, one of the things that made it successful is that I did not solely rely on acquisition through ads. Hi, if you listen to this far, thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoy the show, please leave me a review on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or my YouTube channel. If you have any feedback for the show, please let me know on the Aspiring CMO Podcast social media pages on Facebook and Instagram, or send me an email on my website. Now let's get back to the episode. Right. What I did is I tried to get the people into my email list. So as soon as someone would land on my website, I would have them opt into my email list. I would then send them a welcome flow. I would have abundant cart flows going out. And all of these things at the back end, I built a community of people who were buying from me. So eventually my lifetime value of customer went up. 
And most of the drop shippers and these Shopify store owners were getting out of business because the CAC was becoming too high. It was too expensive to acquire users from Facebook ads. For me, that was not an issue because I had already maximized the revenue from the users that I was acquiring. Wow. Wow. And how long did it take you to kind of uh, get the email list to, an, I don't know, first 10,000 or first 1,000? Yeah. So, so typically, if you... You know, if you're able to drive 100,000 people on your website, let's say in the first year of business, if you drive 100,000 people on your website, you can expect to have 10,000 people in your email list. So it doesn't take as long as people think it does. And um, it's just a game of converting them either through an opt-in or a pop-up or some sort of deal or discount that you can offer to cold traffic to then convert them into warm subscribers. Awesome. And how did you land in the Shopify space in the first place? Like, did you have a mind in mind, like, oh, you want to sell this specific product? Because I think a lot of people out there want to start an online business, but they don't really know should they start on Shopify or start the affiliate sites and stuff like that. Right. So I feel there are basically five different businesses that you can start online and everything can be categorized in these five business um, styles. So the first one is like a services business, which typically you could start off freelancing like I did and then scale it into an agency. And in this case, you will be basically hiring good people and looking for good clients to work with. And that's the sort of funnel that you keep repeating over time. You need to get more higher quality clients. And on the other side, you need to hire better quality people. And you just keep repeating this. Something that I have made most of my money from is the agency business, which I've been doing for 12 years. Oh, you're still doing it? Yeah, so I am more hands-off the agency now, but the agency still runs. So I've even hired, you know, key decision makers for the agency so that I don't have to step in from time to time. But I'm still on the board. I still make some strategic decisions and it's working really well. So that's like the first bucket, I think. Anything related to services, whether you're doing at a small scale independently as a freelancer, just to make some additional income on the side or to diversify your income streams or to work anywhere in the world you want. Those could be genuine reasons to get started. But eventually, when you start digging your feet deeper into the waters, then you typically would scale to an agency business so that you can do more work than just being relying on your own time that you have in the day. Right. So that's the first category of business. The second big category is affiliate. And it could be in different forms. Like you could start a blog and have links to affiliate products and tools or you could start a newsletter and then have affiliate links, or you could affiliate on your YouTube channel or your TikTok or Instagram or whatever. The channel is secondary. I feel the business type is affiliate. So that's like the second big bucket of online businesses, right? So that that's like the some of the popular ones, right? The third one is content creation and becoming a creator, right? So we say, we call it the creator economy. And um, affiliate could be one of the revenue streams, but content creation is much more than that because you could also do brand collabs, you could do partnerships, you could do, you know, you could make money as an influencer. So the third one is more of a content creator um, bucket, which is which can be done hundred percent online. All of these businesses have that in common, that they can all be done hundred percent online, right? So those are like the first three. The fourth one 
is now you're getting more technical, but if you can actually build an online product, right? So this yeah. could be a SaaS product, a software, and you code it once and then people can use it multiple times. So that's how you build leverage with sort of a tech product. So that's the fourth bucket. And then finally, the fifth bucket is the all of our favorite information products, courses, and eBooks. You know, that's where you build these products out, which basically you sell information and then people buy in to those products. So I think those are like the five big uh, ways to make money online or five biggest online businesses that you can build. I've built all of them. So, you know, I've built all of them. So it's, it's the five that I've seen most people build this. I'm, I'm not really counting like drop shipping in this because I still feel building your own product, having your own product is really when you can control the business because it's, even though I'm a marketeer, it's really all about the product. If you're selling someone else's product, it sort of becomes out of your own control. It's not that scalable. The only way that I would sell someone else's product is through affiliate marketing and not through, I would not really recommend dropshipping as, you know, building your whole life on that business. I see. Yeah. This is really interesting because I think the first time I I came across the term content economy was one of your LinkedIn posts. And I was like, oh my goodness, yes, we live in this thing. And I think all of these type of businesses that you mentioned do include a lot of content. Like, so it is all part of the content economy in some ways. Um, I'm really curious how you see it, like how the content economy is going to go in the future, how especially now because I think with AI, it's getting very cheap and fast to produce content. As a result, um, I have a hypothesis that because of it, um, like real influencers, we have a lot more value because they, they, they are kind of like quote, quote, real, and they are not the, the mid-journey avatar that you created. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And the people. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, that's just a hypothesis from me. Sure. See, I tend to believe that the only things that are constant is like how people think and behave and the user psychology side of things. So if people find a bot influencer as influential to their life, then people will buy from a bot. If people find a human being to be influential in their life, if they want to have a real human behind the Instagram page, then they will buy from that. So it depends on whether people will find you influential or not, whether you are human or not, right? So um, it, it's all about the term influencer itself. You know, what it basically means is you have some sort of uh, some sort of influence on decision-making of people. And that decision could be to buy a product, that decision could be to click on your ads, that decision could be to, you know, basically subscribe to your channel or get into your newsletter but you you should have some sort of influence and you build influence by showcasing proof of work by showcasing a lifestyle either that people want to pursue or by showcasing results in my case you know when i show results to my clients that's an influence that i have over them they they feel that i can influence the way that their business will grow so in all cases we do need to have influence in order to um in order to even add value, if I want to add value to your life, first, I need to have some influence on you, right? So that you are able to listen to my opinion, take it in and then absorb it and then implement it. So in that sense, we are all, we are all influencers and then we can divide it on a scale of nano to micro to mega and, you know, celebrities. Um, but we are all some sort of influencer. 
and i also believe like you know your neighbor is an influencer because if they tell you something then you might be willing to make a purchase based on what your neighbor tells you or what your best friends tells you and um the economy that we are living in is it's it's creator driven so the reason why it's creator driven is because there's a personality to that creator who influences us so that's how i like to see it on top of it now you are one time you also mentioned to me i think last week two weeks ago that in order to build wealth is no longer about the service based businesses but to have a a saas tool uh, could you elaborate more on that yeah. so that the audience can uh, right. understand it so so there are different forms of leverage and uh, novel ravikant defines four forms of leverage in his book the almanac which is something that i would recommend to people you know who are trying to build any kind of business but essentially you can't make you know you can't make generational wealth just by selling your time so you you cannot make beyond you know let's say even a few thousand dollars an hour consulting people but there's going to be always some cap to how much people can pay for your time so you'll have to use some form of leverage one form of leverage is to use people right so to hire people now you have leverage because they can do the work and you can maybe pay them $1000 and make $3000 or pay them $10000 and make $30000 that's the first form of leverage which is what the services businesses do right so as an agency you would hire people and you would get clients that would pay you two or three times of the cost of people that you have hired right the reason why i mentioned about saas tools and software is because now you're using code as a form of leverage and once you've written the code look at all of the biggest companies today in the world right they all use coding as a form of leverage facebook for example google right microsoft all of these businesses have built software or code now multiple people can pay and use that software we are doing this podcast on riverside fm you know um there's no human right now working to make sure that this podcast is being recorded well it's just the software that's doing the work there are some people who are maintaining the software but that's about it they've built the bulk of the code in the first iterations and now we are paying on a monthly basis for this software to record podcasts right so zoom all of these examples they are they are sort of the new form of leverage that we should all be tapping into and how you tap into that is again to find a specific target audience build something that solves a problem for them and then scale it from there okay yeah and i think you built a really cool um the, not software but like you showed me a platform that you successfully uh, implemented in india and it teaches digital marketing to people could you talk about that too because i'm i'm super right. happy you've done that sure so it's called growth grad and we've built this community based platform and one of the things if you look at the indian market it was essentially driven by courses so people selling courses on marketing people selling courses on freelancing social media blah 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 and i believe that you know these small courses can deliver information but they cannot really deliver a huge transformation right so either you stack a lot of courses on top of each other and then have a mastermind and then have a mentor and then have some live events then go to some events and ask people questions and you stack and layer this on top of each other and you become a better marketer and then i realized why don't i provide all of this this entire stack in one place to people to subscribe to 
so people can go to growth grad and they can take the courses but they can also participate in live coaching calls they can also be part of the community they can ask questions so i just stacked everything on top of each other and that's what the platform is all about i think growth grad is kind of revolutionary in a way because uh, i went to school for you know international business and digital marketing and when people were teaching digital marketing they basically just took a seo optimized blog post and teach it to the kids i mean to us and i'm like now that i'm out of the real world and you know i'm i'm talking to all these seos i know it's all all like you know pay a cheap writer optimize this and then do it it's not really you know the knowledge driven mostly but what you've done is is so so cool because it kind of gives real value to the students do they also leave like with some sub type of portfolio or something at the end yeah in fact that's like my biggest recommendation to people who want to learn marketing that while the course is great you know you can only learn by execution so even i even recommend people who are just starting out to take the first client for free you know you don't have to charge anything to the client you just should be able to build a case study for them or if you're not able to find a client just do a side hustle yourself and then promote that side hustle to build a business i also try to give them small projects from my agency itself so the advantage that i have is that i'm not teaching like a university professor you know i actually have a lot of projects as part of the agency and then i just um, ask my agency uh, team to give them some small projects so they can actually build up a portfolio that's so amazing oh my god i'm so happy you do that and i'm really thankful even though i'm not part of it but i'm just this is i really care so much for it because uh i was one of those graduates that had no experience and then i was surprised like you know nobody would hire me because even though i had a degree i didn't have experience in that field and digital marketing is the field that you really need experience at least something to get started so uh, now my kind of my mission too is to like help people build their portfolio so yeah to become aspiring cmos yeah and ooh, i'm actually really curious because about entrepreneurship in general like how do you balance your entrepreneurship life with your personal life because you know i follow you on linkedin all the time i see you have a really beautiful family and uh, you know how how does it feel like to to balance this busy life with with your family and stuff Yeah I think the the best way to sort of have a balanced life is to not do most of the things <laughs> and uh, I call it I call it the elimination uh, phase so I have three phases I have a framework called the EDE framework the first E stands for elimination the D stands for delegation and then the third E stands for execution right so it's elimination delegation and execution so most of the business tasks that we get on a regular basis i feel can be eliminated like you don't really have to do everything so if there is a task that does not move the needle forward to the business and if it does not help any of my customers or my end users i'm just going to not do that task and these are random requests that you get from emails and from messages i don't check messages all the time so i sometimes i just skip them in other cases i will eliminate them The second one is delegation. So some of the tasks that I feel are important but they do not need my time to be done, I would just assign it to other people. 
and I, I could hire new freelancers so that, you know, it adds value to them as well. You know, they are able to make an hourly rate because of those tasks. They are happy doing those tasks. Maybe there are certain tasks that I'm not good at, but someone else from the team is good at. So I would just delegate all of those tasks. And finally, whatever survives after the elimination and the delegation, only those tasks will be executed by me. So that actually takes care of, you know, it. the elimination phase, I would say, takes care of 40 to 50% of all the tasks that I have to do. And then the 20 to 30% goes to delegation. So I'm actually executing only 20% of the left, which is what I've identified as per the Pareto's principle as the top 20% things that I need to be doing. And um, I do a lot of these deep work sessions using, you know, some timers like this one. So I have these timers for Pomodoro sessions. I would just put timers of 45 minutes, take 15 minute breaks and avoid all of the distractions in those times. So I'm typically working eight o'clock to one o'clock. Like that's my deep work time, 8 a.m. to 1 a.m. Uh, before 8 a.m. I've already taken care of my fitness routine, uh, my gym session or cardio or yoga, whatever that is. It depends on the day of the week. So I've assigned everything to a specific day of the week. And then after lunch, I'm doing either meetings or a podcast like this one. And then from 4 p.m. onwards, it's just family time. That's amazing. Wow, that's so cool. It's really inspiring to, you know, to um, dads and mother, mothers out there who are balancing both business and family. And awesome. Do you also write a book I, or is that a challenge you do? <laughs> yeah, this is my second book. I've written a book before. Wait, um, what? Really? Yes. My first book was 101 Ways to Grow a Startup. That was All India release. But the new one is Mastering Growth Marketing. This is going to be an international one. So the first book was self-published. But for this book, I'm going through a publisher as well. So yeah, it's going good. The book is the book is complete. We are. I, I was able to finish it in 30 days, which is surprising for me. That's wild. But, but actually, on the other side, if you look at it, you know, I've been doing this stuff for 10 years. So... <laughs> It's like just 30 days of putting this stuff together on paper. It's not that hard if you've been doing it for 10 years. And I believe everyone who's doing something for 10 years can can actually write a book in 30 days because they've executed it so much that the, the principles are very clear by now. All right. All right. Um, how do you manage to kind of pivot uh, in digital marketing and growth marketing? Because there's always changing happening in the industry and how do you overcome these changes all the time? For example, another Google update and then another social media platform coming out and probably the email, when you do email marketing, there's a lot of like spam blocking and stuff like that. How do you do? Right. So one way that I did is, is by stop, stopping to focus on things that are changing and starting to focus on things that are not changing yeah. because I realized that the basics and the most fundamental things do not change. You know, Like? like people and how they behave right it's we we hear these terms of b2b b2c but at the end of the day you're human to human right so you're selling to another human being people have certain psychological biases people have pattern recognition cognitive biases the reasons why they buy from you are more or less similar this is why for example let me give you a small example you might see that on websites, you have these prizes which end in nine or which end in 0.99 or something like that. And this is a hack that has been working for decades. You know, people have changed. iOS tracking has changed. Open rates are not reliable anymore. Facebook ads have become expensive. 
there are so many things that have changed. Like you said, there are new Google updates happening all the time. AI has come into the picture. Why do people still use a 0.9 pricing in all of these decades? That's because user psychology doesn't change. And the psychology behind it is that when you have this end pricing, the conversion rates are higher because people perceive it as a lower value because the previous digit reduces. So 29 is better than a 30 because two is smaller than a three. But if you look at most of the fundamental things, they are more or less the same. People like a hook, they click on an ad, people click on an ad, they like the message that you present on your landing page, they sign up for you. If they sign up for you and they, whatever you write to them aligns to their values and systems, then they buy from you. All of these things don't change, right? So if you stop focusing too much on what's changing today, because in digital marketing, I'm sure if we record this podcast tomorrow, I can tell you 10 new things that happened yesterday. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm and start focusing on the fundamentals that don't change, then 80% of your job is still done, right? So I feel that adding those trends on top is just an optimization. So the fundamental layer does not change. On top of that, you can go creative and add all of these hacks and trends and leverage new tools and technologies and so forth. That's awesome. Do you, can, can you recommend any books or, or videos or courses that, that talks about the fundamentals of these things or? If it's just you test it's, it out. With regards to marketing, you know, to be very honest, I've not read a book on marketing in the last 10 years, which is the time that I've been doing marketing. So I was busy doing, mar- I was too busy doing marketing to read a book. Uh, but, but yeah, that's what I would, that's, I would, I, I read books on productivity. I read books on, uh, you know, uh, successful business people and their stories and biographies, but marketing is my main skill. So I don't need a book for that. That's what I do. You know, like if I have, 10 hours to read a book, I will work instead on a client campaign for 10 hours. Uh, that's going to give me much more, I feel, in terms of learning. I love that. Okay, that's, that's really cool because, again, once we are putting action before anything else, um, yep, that's, that's been amazing. And uh, now that you've reflected on all your experiences and the things that you've gone through, what is the number one advice that you would give to somebody who is just starting out in their early 20s? Right. So the number one advice would be to experiment. The more you experiment, the closer you will get to success. And the reason is because this is what I tell people. Maybe you're just one experiment away from achieving your goals, right? Maybe you're just one experiment. And that's always the case. If you if you see people who have achieved any kind of success, whether it's in marketing or business as an entrepreneur, it's because they did one experiment extra than what they had planned to do. And that experiment actually worked. So maybe you've done 10 experiments and the 11th one would work. Maybe you've done 20, maybe the 21st one will work. So don't lose hope. Just do the next experiment. Keep experimenting. Do not delay an experiment too much. When it's time to pivot, you have to pivot and try something new. But just if you keep experimenting, I have not seen anyone who's experimented for a decent long enough period of time and not seen success. I see. Uh, any other example where you can say like, okay, this is the time to pivot that you need to change up something. Usually your users are the best people who will tell you if it's a time to pivot or not. So, you know, you, you have to be open to feedback from users and listen to your users, get into the communities that they are chatting on, get into the forums that they are active on, get into the channels where they are active and then listen to what they have to say. 
that's the time that you'll be able to you'll be able to hear the obvious truth only when you listen to users but if you're always listening to your own self as an entrepreneur or if you're always listening to just your co-founder or your team then you may not get to the truth you may just get to what you want to hear as the truth oh wow that's very deep yes that happens that happens i see yeah um all right I'm kind of reflecting here because I've been pivoting, I think, in my career. Um, I think like maybe twice, but but I only just started my career quite early. So I, I, myself, for myself, I'm quite self-conscious not to pivot too much because I see it over and over again that consistency is the thing that wins. And uh, that's why I'm, I'm really conscious whether like should I give up or should I should I give up for a better or am I giving up because I just couldn't keep it consistent? Well, yeah, I would replace the term pivoting with experimenting because then it just changes the perspective of things. Maybe you did something that you did not enjoy or you felt that does not appeal to your overall lifestyle or to the users and then you tried something new. I wouldn't necessarily call it pivoting. I would just say you are experimenting and experimenting consistently is also consistency. So like you said consistency wins but if you experiment consistent consistently then you are being consistent and you will win right so that's that's how that's what i tell people if you what if you do the wrong thing consistently over the long period of time in that case you know it's very hard to win but if you experiment and you're able to find something that works and then become consistent at it that's i think you'll have much better chances there yes yeah all right well, thank you so much, Rich, for joining the podcast. And if people would like to reach out to you, how can they find you? I think LinkedIn is the best platform because that's where I'm the most active on. And then they can also, if they would like to read my emails, then it's rishdev.com. They can sign up on my newsletter on my official website. Yes, I love his emails, guys. You should sign up because I also read them. I'm one of those open rates yes. percentages over there. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much, Rich, for joining the show, and I hope to see you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me.